Welcome to the Bold SLP Podcast. We are so happy that you're here and can't wait to share with you all of the amazing conversations we've been having. We are the co-founders of the Bold SLP Collective, and we are also your hosts, Lisa, Desi, and myself, Ingrid. Each of us has a variety of experiences in all things bilingual and bimodal speech-language pathology. You'll get to know us pretty well on here. We started this podcast to share our lived experiences, but also because we want to bring advocacy and cultural humility to the forefront of every speech therapy conversation. We hope that you'll join us each week, and we hope that you enjoy this episode. We are here with Desi, and I will be your host today, Ingrid. We are on to episode four of season one of our podcast. This episode, I am so excited to share with you. It is titled, Collectively Talking About Desi. We will get to know Desi all the way from the beginning, and I can't wait for you to hear her story. Desi, how's it going? I'm good. How are you, Ingrid? Doing good. Just enjoying the last bit of summer and beginnings of fall over here in the Southwest. Yeah. Well, here in the Northeast, it's definitely fall. So <laughs> totally different. I know. We've... You are in a totally time, different time zone. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, the leaves here have already completely changed. So in my experience, usually bef- well before the end of October, all the leaves have fallen onto the ground. So yeah. <laughs> just waiting for that to come around. Well, I can't wait to hear your story, Desi. I feel like it'll just really bring home a lot of the things that I love about you. So I'm so excited for this today. Oh, thanks, Ingrid. Yeah. um, So I guess I'll start with um, just growing up. Um, So I was actually born in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Um, I grew up there. And it's a place that I think sometimes I think that it hasn't really left an imprint on me. But then other times I realize it really has. So I um, was born in Elizabeth um, to Cuban parents. My mom came to the U.S. when she was 14 uh, with my grandparents. And um, my dad arrived in the U.S. when he was in his 20s through the uh, Mariel boatlift that happened out of Cuba. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, they met um, in Miami, but... um, we ended up living in New Jersey for um, the beginning of my life, and I have a brother who is two years younger than me. I guess the first thing to know about me, um, especially growing up in New Jersey, was I was very close with my grandparents. Um, my grandmother uh, stopped working around the time that my brother was born, and he she took care of us until I started going to preschool. And so because of that, and because my parents only spoke to me in Spanish, um, I my my first language was Spanish, and I didn't um, speak English until I got to school. So I was a sequential language learner. Um, yeah, and um, and so it's just um, interesting. I remember my grandmother um, mentioning to me, you know, when I was younger, that, that you know that I did mostly fine, you know, not knowing English and getting. Um, you know, put into like a preschool setting, um, but that there were definitely some moments where other kids would try to, I guess, push me around. Um, and I would tell my grandmother, but I didn't know how to address it. So I just like let it slide. 
it's you know it's one of those things that like I, I have no memory of that but um I think for her it was just kind of tough to like imagine me having to navigate a whole setting uh, a whole new setting by myself right. um and interestingly enough I think that I don't know it I I'm a very <laughs> I'm a very social person now, but when I was younger, especially like elementary through high school, I was very painfully shy, which I, I mean, I think people who know me now think that that's crazy when I say that. Um, I I am pretty talkative and uh, open about things, but um, I think, yeah, it maybe, you know, the fact that I learned the languages sequentially or, you know, that I wasn't completely comfortable speaking in English, especially when I was really young I don't know if that played a role but I can see you being more like selective if that makes sense sure yeah I mean <laughs> like and I think not it with everybody sense. you would be your full self yes and actually I mean I I think the in all in all honesty the way I see myself is more of like um an introverted extrovert like I really love being around people um but I'm just not the person in the middle of the room capturing everyone's attention um right. but I do I do like to mingle so there you go um <laughs> so, um but yeah so I grew up in Elizabeth um you know I went to schools uh with other a lot of children from like diverse backgrounds I you know I'd say that the schools that I went to were just like a very um a mix of like kids from all different races all different ethnicities uh, and so that kind of shaped my, my experience growing up quite a bit. Um, and then when I was 13, we ended up moving to Miami, Florida, which is much more homogenous. Like I ended up moving to, um, kind of like Southwest Miami, Florida. So, uh, in other words, like one of the most Cuban places on the face of the earth. And so going back you know going going to see my family going to Miami um you know was really kind of a shock for me in a lot of ways culturally like it it really felt like I was like in Cuba sometimes you know depending on where you were or um the interactions that you had and so it just took some adjusting for me um when I first got there and um it really made me reflect a lot more on like okay well what's my identity here and now in this space, you know, um, it really wasn't, it, it, you know, it changed my whole entire focus, um, as to who I was or, you know, trying to understand who I was and, um, especially in the, those high school years, which are already pretty challenging. And I was one of these weird people who, um, graduated at 17, um, just because I was already, um, like they let me start kindergarten, um, early because my birthday was so close to the cutoff. So, right. um, so yeah, so I, um, I lived in Miami for my four years of high school. Um, I, it was a really fascinating place to be. Um, especially as a teenage girl, um, when I got there, like all the other teenage girls would like do their nails and, you know, they all wanted like Louis Vuitton, belts and sandals and purses and um you know they were like were ironing their hair and stuff and I was just like whoa I don't know what any of this is um and so I you know sometimes I try to catch up and other times I'm like wait this is just not who I am and so <laughs> 
Um, my biggest thing I think that defined me in that age was the fact that I was in the uh, newspaper, um, like the editorial team for the newspaper. Um, so that really shaped me. I obviously like spent a lot of time writing for the newspaper, but we also did a lot of page design. And um, one of the best things about it was we actually took an annual trip to New York City um, to go to Columbia University for a journalism conference. Uh, and so getting to go there and like see beyond kind of the confines of Miami or, you know, kind of, I think almost in a way, like kind of seeing beyond what what expectations I had for myself or my family had for me. It was just really eye-opening, um, and it was just kind of like the little bit of a taste of freedom that I really, um, that really helped me kind of take off and figure out where I wanted to go in life. It wasn't really yeah, I'm over here grateful. nodding my head like you can yeah. see me. <laughs> yeah. But yes, that word expectations has come up on my episode and on Lisa's episode, and here it is again. Yeah, yeah. So I guess... Um, before I kind of explain, you know, where I went after high school, I think it's important to note, like I said, um, my mom um, emigrated to the U.S. with my grandparents. Um, that was actually 50 years ago. I can't believe it. Um, in 1971. And so they had a very traditional household, you know, um, it was my mom and my aunt um, and my mom was seven years older than my aunt. So she was kind of like the one who took care of her. Um, and my grandparents worked all the time, um, especially when they arrived in the U S and so there were just certain things that you didn't challenge. Um, or if you did challenge them, there was a lot of pushback, just expectations around what children are supposed to do, what, especially daughters, what daughters are supposed to do. Mm -hmm mom and my aunt kind of raised me to be a little bit of a rebel um even though I don't know that they would think of it that way <laughs> so like I'm saying like this it was kind of like a perfect storm like that little bit of inspiration from them and then taking a trip like this one where I could see a little bit more of the world um it you know those those things started to define me a little bit more and um and so what happened after high school was that I ended up going to the University of Florida. And that was a big drawn out battle with my family because the University of Florida is six hours away from Miami and nobody had ever left the family to ever go to college. Um, you know, my mom did night school and eventually graduated with her degree. Um, my aunt did go to college, but it was, you know, right next to home. So I was the first person in my entire family to have that experience of going away. And um, it was a it was a really big full family battle <laughs> for me to convince them <laughs> to let me leave. Um, and you know, I I just I I knew that I needed it. Um, but it just it, it's so funny because um, now looking back, I don't know. You know, you you just always think about the ways that things could have played out differently. Um, so yeah. So anyway. Things didn't play out differently. I did go to UF um, and I was an English and Spanish major. Um, I, I majored in English. I always loved literature. And so I, I knew from graduating high school that I would be an English major. And the Spanish part really creeped up on me. So I think this is the other component of 
my life experience that I think is important to share on this podcast. Yes. Um, so big secret reveal time. I went through a uh, significant language attrition in Spanish. Um, the older I got by the time that I was in high school, I really didn't want to speak Spanish at all. So my grandmother would say, you know, do you want to eat now? Do you want to eat later? You know, you have all these like home home conversations, which are really basic language um, conversations. And, you know, where I try to explain something to her about my day and I would say something wrong or the verb would be wrong. And she'd be like, ah, you know, you don't say it that way. You say it this way. And so Anyway, it got to the point where I, between that, like not being able to effectively communicate and then having some Spanish courses in high school that were like less than, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just less than inviting, you know, um, or accepting my, you know, I, that I had this, um, negative perception of Spanish. Like, I, I really think that we could do so much more healing with people, um, that are, you know, second generation speakers. Um, but it just felt like a very judgmental space. Um, right. So I just, I just wanted to get through it and be done. And it was just, I, my Spanish teacher was so upset with me, my Spanish two teacher, it was a Spanish two for heritage speakers, um, which they offered at the high school that I was at. She was so upset with me at the end of Spanish two that she pulled me aside and said, like, no, you have to continue taking Spanish. And I said, no, I'm done. <laughs> I'm not doing this anymore. Um, I'm like, why would I do this? Like, you know, I, I had like a perfect A in the course, but she would always give me like a C for behavior. Cause I just, it was apparent that she, it was hard for her to reach me. Like I, I didn't feel, um, seen by the way that the course was designed. So anyway, um, mm. yeah. Um, and so I, um, I went to college, I started taking English classes, I started taking other classes um, that I was interested in, uh, just other languages. I tried taking Italian, that was really hard to get into, it was a very popular course. Um, I took French, I took Latin, and then eventually I was like, you know what, I was like, I do speak another language, even if it's not perfect, I should try to improve in that language. So I did a placement test and I uh, was also fortunate that at UF, they offered a heritage language program for um, people like me, people who spoke Spanish at home. Mm -hmm. So I started taking courses and then I found out about a study abroad program in Spain um, and I ended up going on that study abroad program um, a million summers ago now. <laughs> and, uh, and then I decided once I returned that I was only like three courses away from a major. So I finished up the major and, um, and then by the time that that all happened, it was my senior year and I had my head in a million different places. I had applied to do teach for America. I thought at one point that I was going to go to law school. Um, I was pretty, misguided like I didn't know where to go um and ironically enough um my aunt had always mentioned to me like hey you know maybe you should think about doing like audiology or, or speech pathology and you know she had mentioned that that to me a few times during the course of my college career and so I um 
I tried, I tried to get into like the 101 courses, like the intro courses, and they were always full. And so I was just like, well, whatever, it's fine. I'm not that interested in that. Um, so yes, so it's now I'm taking, I've taken you up to summer 2007. Yes. Um, still wasn't sure what I was trying to do. Um, I did some random odd jobs um, that summer and it just so happened that a friend of mine had shared with me that um, she was applying for a program to teach English in Spain. Um, and I was like, oh, hey, I could do that. Um, and so I got all the information, I applied, and I was accepted. And so in August or September, um, I moved to Spain. I got all my stuff. I went over there and... At first, it was pretty terrible in a lot of ways. Like, I was just so alone, uh, and I had never been that alone. Um, and it was really hard to find an apartment. Um, I think people just didn't want non-Spaniards, um, which is definitely a thing um, over there sometimes. Um, and so my first roommate situation was not great. Um, and, um, oh, man, so many mis cultural misunderstandings there, even though you would think, right, like, similar cultures no no, no. <laughs> uh so um thankfully i i got in touch with someone else um who was leaving madrid um that's where i was living i was living in madrid and um i got connected to this awesome apartment with um every everyone was from different countries almost um they were like three it was a 14 person apartment um so it was very much like I don't know. I felt like it felt very European, I guess. Um, felt like a dormitory of kind. So, um, so yeah, we were from all these different countries. And so I closest with um, my Italian roommate and my Greek roommate. Um, and so I did a lot of traveling. Um, I spent my first year there and then I decided to spend the second year. Um, and so I was mostly in elementary and high school settings for those two years. Um, and I was always constantly thinking like, okay, well, I need to figure out how I'm going to get back to the U.S. What am I going to do in the U.S.? And I, I had one of the, um, one of the thoughts that had entered my mind was to do graduate work. Um, and it's terrible when you have like, like this vague, you know, idea of, oh, I'll, I'll go to graduate school. Like, as if it's like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like a place where everyone's just hanging out, you know? Um, so my issue was that, um, I wasn't, you know, I, again, I didn't have a lot of focus. I didn't, I didn't have a lot of, um, understanding as you can see, you know, you're, you're 22, you don't really know what you're doing. Um, no offense to the 22 year olds out there. I'm sure many of you are very prepared, I but I was not I was doing at 22. Exactly. <laughs> right. That makes me feel better. So I think that my, um, I had, a. Uh, a professor um, in the Spanish department at that time who I had grown close to. And so she saw my back and forth situation um, with the different options I had considered during my senior year. And she said, listen, she's like, why don't you just go to graduate school and do Spanish, you know, Spanish and Latin American literature. Um, she's like, it'll be great for you. You know, it'll be, even if you don't decide to do a PhD, like, you know, you, the worst that you'll have is like a graduate degree. Um, I'm like, oh, okay, sure. 
So, going along that path, path and um, I ended up getting accepted to the University of Virginia. And that's where I ended up after my two years um, in Spain. And, I didn't realize um, you had been in Spain that long. Yeah, yeah. I thought I, I like was... just one semester abroad, but you did your abroad and then two years of actually working there. I did. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, and it's just, yeah, it was really awesome in a lot of ways. Um, I wish now I wish I could do that all over again, but like somewhere else, like I would love to go to Peru and do that, you know? Um, uh, but yeah, it, it was honestly one of the best things I could have done. Cause I got to travel a lot. Um, airplane tickets in Europe are just way more affordable. And right. so we take a train and exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I got around a lot. I went, I think, um, I can't, I don't know how many countries I went to while I lived there, but, um, that living there and, you know, kind of having all those opportunities for travel, um, throughout my life, I, I've been to 25 countries, which is pretty awesome. I feel spoiled. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. So it's been, I mean, it was, it was definitely the most rewarding thing I think I've done. Um, you know, one of those like big life milestones, um, that I'm never going to regret. Um, returning to the U S I was like, Oh my gosh, this was a mistake. I should have stayed in Europe. (laughs) So aside from having lived in like Elizabeth, um, and Miami, both of which are like pretty urban areas. Um, you know, even though I lived within the suburbs in each of those places, um, you had access to cities and the same way with Madrid. Madrid is a big city. Um, right. So moving to Virginia was like the first time that I was like, wow, this is rural. Holy moly. Like, So you're in Virginia now. Right. And I graduate with my master's degree. Um, and at that point, um, I had started dating my husband and I knew that I wanted to stay in the area. So I um, after graduating with my master's degree, I taught at a high school that was about an hour away. Uh, and it was in kind of the very southern, it was very southern in many ways. Um, so Confederate flags, big trucks, boots, um, things that I just was not ever exposed to in my life before. Um, and it was, it made for a really interesting and eye-opening experience, um, you know, working and teaching young minds um, who just had had very different life experiences than mine completely. So, um, you know, and there were definitely a lot of moments of learning and, you know, just self-reckoning and helping others along their journey to, you know, recognize their own biases. Um, I was also the English as a second language teacher um, for one year of that um, teaching job. And so, it, it really put me in a position to um, be a face to the leadership and the counselors and in the school. Uh, and at the same time, kind of started me down the path of advocacy for students who were, you know, minoritized within their larger scheme of things. Right. Um, so after teaching there, um, I realized, you know, teaching, um, you know, it, I liked it, but it, it wasn't going to sustain me over a long, t- long period of time. I really wanted to figure out, you know, what it was, what my next step was. And I, I knew in my heart of hearts that it was in speech. I, so I knew that I wanted to do speech pathology um, because I really enjoyed working with students one-on-one. 
Um, sometimes the pace of the classroom can just get away from you. Um, you know, it, the, the expectations that are placed on teachers are just unrealistic. Um, and I taught a subject that nobody knew, um, Spanish and, you know, it just, it, but it's still made for, um, just some challenging situations. Um, uh, I just felt like there had to be something different where I could use the same skill set, uh, but just in a different way in a more, um, what I felt to, you know, be more, more of a reasonable pace, uh, for me. So, so after, um, teaching for three years, I decided to pursue part-time work and do my post-baccalaureate. And I also did that through the University of Florida, go Gators. Um, <laughs> so um, I did that online. I caught up on my, on my prerequisites. And um, by that point, um, my husband and I had already moved to Georgia uh, where he was working um, at Emory University just temporarily. And so I started applying um, to different programs and um, it was pretty funny. I applied to like a, an odd smattering of programs because I was applying to universities um, where my husband had been applying uh, for jobs. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I think I applied to, um, oh, was it Syracuse maybe in New York and um, a California school? I think it was um, uh, CSU Los Angeles. Um just a bunch of different places. Um, I eventually ended up getting into UGA and, uh, and that's where I ended up going. Um, so the neat thing about my program was that I had the option to do a thesis, which I did. Um, I'm currently still attempting to get it published um, into a journal. Um, that is a very long-term project now, as I'm finding out, because it's been a long time. Um, it's, oh yeah, it's been three years. Um, and yeah, so after, um, graduate or well, before I graduated from my program, my first year of my graduate program, um, my husband was still on the job market. Um, shout out to anybody who is in a PhD program and is trying to find work, um, you know, in our field um, of communication sciences and disorders, people tend to find um, PhD level work, like, you know, either through um, some sort of like uh, post doctorate fellowship or, you know, some tenure track position. Um, my husband's job was, my husband's profession is not like that. Um, it just, there were so few jobs that, you know, it was one of those things that we, we really worried over time, you know, if he would find uh, a tenure track position. So he did. And it was at the University of Maine. Um, and I did not expect to ever live here. Uh, but <laughs> it's grown on us. And, um, you know, in a lot of ways, I think this, you know, I, I look forward to seeing how the state is going to grow over time uh, and change. Um, you know, it's, it's just a place in flux, I feel. Um, so yeah, that's, I That's feel where like I need been. a map of all the places that you've lived. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I just say I'm from the East Coast. It's just, it's worked out easier that way. Because um, I, I feel not... like I moved a lot, but I moved back and forth to the same places. Right, right. <laughs> Well, and I think that that's what's kind of funny about me. Like, I can never see myself living on the West Coast. Um, and that's no offense to the West Coast. I've been there. I love it. I think it's great. Um, 
but um again i think the you know i i'm always thinking about um trying to get back to my family um and they still live in miami so i try to stay somewhat close (laughs) i feel the same about living anywhere further east than el paso so no offense exactly yeah i mean how did you then get started with everything slp that you've got going on because you've got school contracts your private practice how did it all come about for you um so it's really an interesting question so i'm still trying to figure out how it came about for me um I, um, so my, my CF year, I was here in Maine. I worked for a private practice that did a lot of school contracts. Um, and so I just felt like I was always working. Um, this is a state where there are just distances between people, you know? Um, so the job for my CF year was a lot of driving. Um, so I drove a lot. I had to fill my schedule, um, that kind of pressure is just something that I was not really excited about. Um, I was definitely way older than your traditional, um, SLP graduate. Um, I graduated when I was 32, I think. Um, so I was just kind of, um, not interested in, in that kind of lifestyle. Um, but you know, I, I did my CF. I, for the experience that I got there. Um, and then I actually went on maternity leave because I had my son at the end of my CF year. Um, so I got oh, my wow. C's and then like a month later, I went, I went on maternity leave. <laughs> I um, thought I played fast and loose with that because I had my daughter the first, after my first year with my C's. Oh, no, I, I brought it close to the best. Like, yeah, like, oh, no, actually, I lied. So I remember that I got my, um, I got my letter with my C's on April 11th. And I remember that cause that's my grandmother's birthday. And then I had my son April 26th. So, <laughs> uh, yes. before he was born. <laughs> yes, but barely, but you were um, pregnant your whole CF year pretty much. Yes. Yes. Oh gosh, definitely. Which I do not recommend. No, um, do not recommend. Around. I mean, I, especially here, like, oh man, I slipped on the ice a few times. Um, <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is it's it's just a, a You're really again, not making it sound inviting over there. <laughs> well, I mean I'm not trying to make it sound I, I think that it just so many things about the work that you can do here will depend on um you know, I think for me what I realized is that living here, I needed a job that would offer me flexibility. Um because I didn't want to have these like slip and falls and, you know, I wanted to be able to, um, command my time a little bit better. Um, so I just, I, my CF year, and I think that, you know, a lot of people might feel this way. Um, it just felt like I could never catch up and I hated that feeling. Um, I, you know, after teaching, I felt like I had almost made a commitment to myself. I wasn't going to feel that way any longer or, you know, that I, that I couldn't be that, um, that I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to feel experience. irresponsible. You know what I mean? Like you kind of map things onto yourself when it's like, not you. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, um, so well, when you're a CF, everything takes you longer to do is what I tell my CFs. Like, don't feel like this is going to be forever. Yeah. And like, that's so your awesome. first report will take you longer and that is okay. And it'll be easier as you go. Right. 
Right. And I, I think that's, yeah, see, that's so awesome. Like I've never, um, I've never had an opportunity to mentor a student, um, at least not, not an, an SLP student. Um, and so I feel like, um, that's, I mean, that's just an awesome experience. I, I don't, uh, I feel like again, I, and I, I've mentioned this to you before, uh, at some point, but here in Maine, um, again, the people and the resources are kind of spread out. So, um, after going on maternity leave, I had some time to think about, you know, what I wanted to do. And I'm one of those people who, um, I just, I loved both sides of things like adults and kids. Um, and so I applied to a job in home health and I got it. Um, and, um, what I ended up doing was transitioning to home health, um, on a part-time basis. Um, and then, the other thing that I did, um, that year after my C, after I got my C's was doing the leadership education and neurodevelopmental disabilities program, AKA LEND, um, through, uh, the university of New Hampshire and the university of Maine. So it's an interdisciplinary program, um, that brings together like professionals from professionals and, and family members, um, of people with disabilities. And so, it was something that I had like a weekly commitment to and it had a stipend. So anyway, it was perfect for me um, at that point in time. And it was great because I got to learn a lot more about um, just um, things that we don't really review very well in grad school. Or I feel, I feel like we didn't spend much time on it at all, but like social determinants of health, um, yeah, the, you know, different not. models of disability. Yes. Yep. And so it, I felt like it kind of like completed me in a lot of ways professionally. And so I've been affiliated with them ever since. Um, and I'm fortunate that this is my second year now as a faculty member for them. So I mentor a student each year. Um, Way to bury the lead, Desi. <laughs> well, so... All right. So then if you guys can't see. tell, Desi is the humble side of the equation <laughs> of our tagline. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, Lisa I, and I what, bring the bold and loud well, and Desi is really, so humble. I need to, I need to, um, I don't know if it's humble, but I definitely take on too many projects sometimes, but I do love the projects and I love, um, dividing up my time, um, into different, uh, things that give me positive energy. So anyway, yeah. I think that's going back to that question about private practice. That's how this all led to this point where I realized that it, by working for somebody else, um, I felt like I was leaving money on the table. Um, I knew that I could contract as well. Um, and at the same time, um, I knew that the work setting that I had maybe had in mind when I graduated, like some sort of like multidisciplinary clinic with bilingual speech pathologists, you know, even one, you know, bilingual speech pathologists from who spoke different languages or, you know, access to interpreters, like that all just kind of dried up. Um, when yeah, I found that's out like that some I would... dream scenario that I don't know that it exists. Well, I mean, and I, and it, maybe it doesn't, and maybe that's kind of the problem. I had to kind of built it up in my head that way. Um, but then you move to a rural state and, and the equation changes again. So, right. so I, um, so I decided to, yeah, build something, um, up that I could shape into my own. Um, and so my, I had a friend who used to call it a big, hairy, aggressive goal. I think it was a BHAG. Uh, my, 
aggressive goal is um, that one day I would like to be the person who does school age evaluations for children who speak other languages, um, you know, and I would contract with school districts across the state. So that's right now awesome we're doing, yep, poco a poco. I mean, I'm just moving slowly through it, but, um, but yeah, that's, that is so far. Yeah. A pretty good summary of me from childhood till now. That's amazing. I did not know that you had not been in Miami this whole time. Like I kind of knew you were born in New Jersey, but I assumed that you grew up in Miami. No, no, I, um, it's, it's so hard because people ask me all the time, like, where are you from? And it's easier for me to say Miami because my family still lives there. Right. And, um, yeah, and like I'm, me, I just say Texas when I don't feel like going through my life story. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I but it's been really interesting lately. I've, I'm starting to recognize my upbringing in New Jersey really shaped me in a lot of ways. You know, I, yeah, I like I said, to 13. Yeah, I, I had, you know, access to different cultures and, you know, people of different backgrounds. And I just, it's pretty funny um, here in Maine. Um, I have a group of friends and, um, before COVID, you know, we would do weekly trivia and stuff like that. And, um, we, we recognize that like all of us were from away, which, you know, it is the wording that they use here to say, you're not from here. And so our, even our, uh, trivia name was mainly immigrants, which is pretty good. Uh, (laughs) yeah, so, um, I mean, but it, and it's, it's really crazy. Like, I think, yeah, most of the people that I know here are just not from here. So, but that's me in a nutshell. Um, thank you, Desi. I love getting to know more about you. Thank you for having (laughs) me. And yeah, I look forward to sharing other personal experiences throughout the podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening and supporting the Bold SLP Collective. You can find a closed captioned version of this podcast on our YouTube channel. We will also have show notes on our website. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you do all the podcast things. Follow, subscribe, download, and review. And don't forget, we love hearing from you. So connect with us on Instagram at the Bold SLP Collective. Stay bold and humble. See you next time.